Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and we're going to talk about the big stories that have appeared this week at thisiscommonsense.org. That's the site for Common Sense with Paul Jacob, which Paul's been working on since 1999. This week is the first week of October 2022. Well, I have to say, I'm like completely not um, not with it in terms of, uh, I'm thinking... What the hell did we say this week? You've been busy. You've been elsewhere. That's one of the things. You're often elsewhere. So My wife says that with different words, but yes. I understand uh, you were in a lot of meetings this week. Yes. I had a press conference. Uh, a lot of it was on Thursday, uh, but but all, all week. Uh, there's, there's campaigns going on. We're trying to defeat a uh, dishonest uh, effort in Michigan to uh, block any sort of voter ID to make it to where you'd have a right to prove your identity simply by signing a statement with no follow-up, no, you know, no, never having to prove anything. And they're calling it in their ads, this is proposal two in Michigan, they're calling it etching voter ID into the constitution. That's the exact words of their their ad. So uh, and they're they're running probably uh, six to one, seven to one. Uh, they're on TV. We're not. We really can't afford to get on TV. So I'm trying to help uh, uh, protect my voter ID, which is one committee and uh, secure my vote, which is another committee that are fighting the uh, proposal to. So vote no on proposal two. And in fact, Michigan is easy because just vote no on, on every one of them. Uh, the first one is uh, uh, a scam to weaken term limits with some phony public disclosure of financial stuff for politicians. So if they disclose sort of, you know, stuff that nobody, you know, they Oh, it's so important that they disclose it. And sometimes I, I think there's certain arguments on certain parts of things that you might have to disclose. It's nobody's looking at that. It has no impact everywhere where they disclose are places like Congress, where it's just Katie bar the door. So so when you know, here are these other organizations that have this law that we don't have in Michigan. That's what they say. I'm not in Michigan, but that, that's what they would say. But all of those states are corrupt as can, corrupt can be. And the, and the big one is Congress. Uh, I, do I need to even speak on? I mean, come on. So, uh, and to do that, they're claiming they're making term limits tougher uh, because there's six-year limits in the House now and eight-year limits in the, in the state Senate. And it would be 14 years. And so now they're going to let anybody serve in whatever chamber they wish, 12 years. So they're making them shorter, except that virtually no one. And just mathematically, the, the House is so much bigger, almost three times bigger than the, than the Senate. Mathematically, they cannot, uh, you know, people can't, uh, unless they live a long time, all serve the maximum. Very few people do. But what happens, of course, is if it's 12-year limits, then every House member is going to serve in the House. Why take the risk? Why give up incumbency to run for a Senate seat when you can spend the whole 12 years here and then, then it's over? So that's that will – and, of course, the other thing is 12 years is different 
than six or eight in the number of elections, which the longer you're running for re-election, the less you have competition. Um, and it also means that you have leadership that can be there for six years, maybe eight years, maybe more. And that's where you, you reintroduce the seniority system, the ability to say, you cross me. And it's not just for the next two years while I'm speaker that you have to watch out. It's for the rest of you know time that you have to wa watch out, at least your time. So much of our representative system, and we ought to be talking about representation more because that's the whole crux of it. If there's not good representation, then this whole, the people, we the people and stuff, it's a bunch of crap. It's, you're lying about it unless, unless there's real representation. And, um, and when you have, you know, in most legislatures, your rep, and I'm talking to the average person out there, your rep has no power whatsoever. Unless your rep is the speaker, is in leadership, controls the committee, they've got no power and they have no say so. They do what they're told and they get money to win their reelection to come back and do what they're told. And that's why you're so frustrated and I'm so frustrated. Now, one other thing about these uh, measures, you know, when. I mean, because I've been watching you do these things for now almost 20 years. I mean, of course, in a sense, I'm since the 90s, because I followed your career when you were uh, a budding star on the firmament of, uh, of uh, term limits advocacy. Uh, in fact, I wrote something about the time you started uh, for Liberty about, about term limits. I made my case for term limits, which is pretty much the same as yours. Uh, but I but uh, I didn't buy the obvious arguments against term limits. So, you know, oh, that's, that's interesting. I don't know that I uh, knew that. Well, it was just a little thing in, in Liberty Magazine. Uh, the, well, Liberty Magazine, uh, Liberty Magazine, to me, one of the things that, that made that such a neat magazine is it didn't try to be something else than what it was. It didn't have a lot of slick pictures. It wasn't super expensive to put together in that sort of way, um, which I love all that stuff, so don't get me wrong, but, but it was aimed at an intellectual audience. And, and it, 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 it's like in politics sometimes, you know, we made fun of uh, Elizabeth Warren so many times for that stupid beer stunt because she's trying to connect with the average person by like trying to fool the average person into thinking she's just like them and when it comes to beer of all things. I mean, and as if that's their, oh, I'm, you know, I, I like his view on this and that, but I don't know what beer he's drinking, you know, uh, but, but the, uh, now, now I've totally lost my train of thought uh, with the Elizabeth Warren. Well, all I know is that um, watching term limits for now 30 some years go through the various states and then be attacked and defended, taken away and put back in and that kind of stuff over and over again. The initiative process in all that. I mean, in the first election I ever voted in was not a, was not a presidential election. It was a, uh, you know, some sort of midterm. And, and, and the first thing I did was an initiative measure. One of the things that I've noticed is that when citizens put up initiative measures, 
they often are attacked by the judicial system or the, by the, those powers that be for having multiple subjects in one initiative measure, right? That, you know, that's just right. verboten. However, the measure that the legislature in Michigan has concocted obviously puts several different, not really closely related things together. So they can get away with it, obviously, but the people can't. Is that the, a general rule? That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens again and again. And uh, Rick Hassan, who who does uh, the election law blog, a uh, uh, political science professor, law professor, uh, one of the two, uh, and maybe both in at uh, in University of California, Irvine. He and another guy did a study, and they. Uh, sorry, the other guy, because I can't remember who you are, but uh, but you're a good guy for doing the study because. It's a very interesting issue. Most people, just common sense wise, this is commonsense.org, by the way, common sense wise, they see single subject as yes, otherwise it gets so cumbersome for the voter. Oh, I don't want this. I do want that. You got 52 different things. And it's a way to slip things in in the same way that legislators do. Um, but, you know, at the same time, if you slap a single subject rule on initiatives, the very nature of initiatives is they're coming from the people. And sometimes there's big money behind them, but sometimes there's not big money behind them. And, and so you, you don't want to require all kinds of you know, hoops to jump over that are going to be more and more difficult with lawyers and others having to figure out what's going to be legal or not legal and having to pare everything down. Most normal people would say, look, it's stuff that's all related to the same thing, like the legislature, you can make different reforms. Or if you're doing term limits, you could do it for the legislature and the governor and statewide officials all in the same one. Um, and, and sometimes you're going to get beat at the polls if you, if you put too many things in, but let that be the guide because what the study found was that it was one of the most arbitrary areas of the law that certain things that people would say, come on, those are all related subjects. You had to do all those things, you know, that, that would be thrown out. And other things, they'd allow all kinds of stuff. And it does mean that it's all litigated. So if you got an attorney, you got a, a leg up. And if you got a lot of money to hire the best attorney, you got an even bigger leg up. And it's not the way to do things. So, you know, that's that's a uh, that it's a problem in Michigan that uh, that they've been able to do this, because if it were straight term limits and people were considering term limits, it's all being sold on. This is going to make the legislature, you know, have to disclose. And of course, the funny part of that that's not ha ha funny is that the legislature introduced this and passed it. In one day. They didn't hold hearings. They didn't, they didn't, you know, come out and say, hey, we've been thinking about this and we want to hear from different people and we're considering. No, there was a, a, a citizen initiative that, of course, wasn't going to go anywhere because people are going to go, well, what does it do? And they would have to mention the term limit part or they look really dishonest. Um, increasingly, you know, depending on whether the media is for you or against you, you can get away with being incredibly dishonest as, as both proposal one and two, and to a lesser extent three are, are getting away. 
uh, with being incredibly dishonest in their advertising. Uh, but but these these this particular term limits measure, the proposal one, passed in a single day, no hearings, the sort of thing that you would think the established order in Michigan, the media, academia, others would say, now, wait a second, this isn't a, this doesn't sound like this is a, a, on the up and up. Not a peep, not a peep. Um, so that's, I, I think that's the other thing that, that has a lot of us, myself included, uh, scared. You know, not haha, not not you know, hiding in our closets or anything. Just scared about the state of our country and the world, because especially our country, because you know the the world, the one of the biggest problems in the world is is our country's you know holding up here and there and and everywhere, and that's a problem too. Uh, but that you know we're we're not very strong. It doesn't seem like. Uh, not very strong, not only in in uh, in politically, but I think I think the the country as a as a whole has been has has started to follow suit of the political mess, and uh, and what I mean by that is that it's seeped to a point where you can have teachers all over the country pushing stuff that people aren't really aware of, and then when they become aware of, are horrified of, like critical race theory. And um, and you know we we've reached a point, and of course that's what some of our uh, commentaries were about this week. But we've reached a point where things that shouldn't happen happen. One of the things we should we can mention Monday's piece, uh, which is a public-private censorship partnership, uh, and this is an important piece. We've we've talked about this so many different times. There is collusion going on. And in this case, it was it was uh, organizations like the Democratic National Committee involved in advising uh, Facebook and 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 Twitter on on what should be allowed and not allowed. And the government, we've seen all kinds of things. We've done numerous commentaries and we'll keep doing them because this is free speech. Well, that wasn't the only uh, free speech oriented piece of the week. Uh, certainly not the only internet one, right? We had Pentagon persona. This is a whole different side of the internet and government in the sense of it's not the con- collusion to stop you from saying what you might want to say or stop me from saying what I might want to say, but actively doing, as, as they bitch and moan about disinformation and misinformation, actively being secretively on the internet, sending out information that may or may not be true. In other words, that may be misinformation and disinformation. And and somehow when the government does misinformation, the difference between misinformation and disinformation isn't isn't so big in the in the sense that it it's uh it's rarely by mistake. It's it's rarely that that agencies put out information that harms them. That's unfair to them. Speaking of folks putting out information, um, just to just to do a wild uh, uh, tangent point this week, and I don't know if I want to write something about it. It seems like a fairly simple, short point. But uh, this week came out that Hunter Biden uh, 
that they think they have enough information to charge him with crimes. And, you know, it seems to me that that information and, and look, as you know, Tim, and as anybody who's seen this before knows, I'm no fan of Hunter Biden. I do think charges probably should be brought against Hunter Biden and his pop for running a criminal enterprise. And I don't say I know that they did all that. I just know from publicly available information that that's certainly what that strong odor smells like is international racketeering uh, using the power of the vice president, president, uh, you know, I mean, I know now Hunter Biden has become an artist who's selling his wonderful paintings for a quarter of a million dollars here or there. Um, but I think that's part of the corruption. And uh, but our government actively out there gaining information through investigations that are predicated on a criminal offense being supposed uh, supposed isn't the right word, but but you know the, 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 there's probable cause to investigate, and that means a crime has probably been committed. Then you get to investigate as the government, and you get to charge that crime and convict that person if you can in a court of law. You don't get to suppose there's some crimes, investigate, and then run a media campaign bad-mouthing that person and giving the public information that they have no, no right to because it was gathered in pursuit of a criminal investigation. You've brought no crime. If you're doing any talking as the Department of Justice or as the local prosecutor in whatever city or county or state, you do your talking in court. You do not have a right to do a bunch of mouthing off outside of court, in which, in essence, you're trying to use your power to just, you know, ruin somebody's uh, reputation. That's not what our our judicial system is supposed to be about. And so I hated that coming out on uh, on Hunter Biden and, and saying that sort of thing. They have no right to do that. And when James Comey did that with Hillary Clinton, he had no right to do that. Now, here's the flip, which I suspect if I didn't say it, you would would hit me on it, uh, Tim. And I, we haven't talked about this because this is kind of a tangent point, but I bet I'm right. Um, I know him so well. Anyway, uh, this and there's my train of thought on what uh, well, you, you kind of are intuiting what my objection would be. Yes. Uh, well, well, I think that they did this with Hunter Biden and with Hillary Clinton, not to beat them up in public. Beating them up in public was a diversion for charging them, or in Hillary's case, not charging her. But in Hunter's case, this has been speculated uh, by, by a number of people. Uh, Harmie Dillon, who's a, a Republican uh, attorney, kind of one of their lead election law attorneys, uh, and is on Fox a lot of times, very bright. Um, she pointed out that in a case like this, oftentimes, you know, one way that that you would pop the, the blister without people seeing all the stuff that might ooze out of a full prosecution on bigger issues 
is he, you know, Hunter gets charged with some uh, tax violation and some gun violation and goes to jail for six months and then is under probation for four years or whatever. In other words, they can always say, what do you mean? He was prosecuted. What do you, what do you want us to do? And yet it never gets at, which is the real issue. There are emails and other bits of evidence that suggest that a cut of what Hunter was getting was going to Joe Biden. We know that Hunter was spending thousands of dollars doing things to his dad's house. I just want everyone out there who has spent thousands of dollars, you know, fixing up your dad's house um, and paying your dad's bills. And, and it does happen from time to time when they get older. Maybe if you're like a multi-gazillionaire, you're going to. But I, I just never envisioned paying, you know, for my dad's expenses. You know, my dad was paying his own expenses. In fact, there was a time he was paying my expenses. I never thought that would flip. And it never did flip. And I think that he was paying his expenses as part of how their criminal enterprise went. And again, I don't, I'm not saying I have foolproof evidence that Joe Biden was involved in a political you know, racketeering scheme that's a huge felony. But that's what I suspect very, very strongly. And I, and I can't imagine that people in the media don't suspect the same thing. Yeah, there's also the, I mean, that's true. Yeah, I get that part. Was um, I but, right? Was I right? Though that's only part of what my objection to your point about the publicity uh, involved here. The other objection is that they're kind of responding to all the criticism and all the information. I mean, they have to manage rumor. And part of this is to manage rumor. It's not merely managing a, a demand for prosecution. It's a demand. Uh, it's a it's a rumor management problem. I mean, this is kind of how they deal with lots of things, like even UFOs. Is that you give a little bit, and thus you you know pro forma uh, address the issue, right? But and and you and the people who are easily uh, easily thrown off the scent just by a little bit of information, you know, they get oh we got something from them. There's something been said, and I think it's the demand for information from the public that's the cause of these uh, leaks and uh, the public of course is largely distracted and you know they don't, they don't follow this everybody knows what you just said and almost everybody who's not a democrat sort of believes that biden is deeply corrupt um, i think he's the, probably more corrupt than even the clintons uh, looks like to me in a kind of a gross way the clintons <laughs> had an elaborate uh, an elaborate uh, they were a lot better at it well, I mean that the whole foundation. I mean, it was above board in that sense. I mean, when the, when the Saudi princes, you know, gave them money, it seemed like it was for a charity. Well, there's no way that giving money to Hunter Biden is seeming like a charity, other than he's kind of a charity case. I mean, they're not, there's not going to be a, uh, you know, let's fund the uh, uh, crack uh, whore addict <laughs> thing. Right, you know, right. there's there's that there's that's not a thing. And it doesn't bother me that they say this that much. You know, much of what the government does is just information management. And there are a lot of rumors out there. When so much of it is secret yeah. uh, to begin with, and, and people recognize a certain amount has to be, but boy, it sure seems like a lot more than, than any reasonable person would, would agree to. 
Um, but it's also that when you know someone is lying, and so often it's so obvious about so many different things that they're lying, that you can hardly you know, blame anybody for hearing what they say about anything. And their first thought being, hmm, I wonder if that's just a complete and total lie. I wonder if the exact opposite of that is actually the truth. And, and uh, we, we talked about this before in terms of conspiracy theories. It's like you, you kind of, if, if something important that's part of your world that could have an impact on you, if all the official word about it is known to be false, you, you sometimes have to try to think of what is actually happening so that you can react in a way that will keep you alive and hopefully, you know, more free than, than not. And, and, you know, that's, that's where we find ourselves a lot. So we've been talking about Wednesday's piece, uh, Pentagon Personi. You mispronounced it. It was persona. I, I, I admit that I, I put the E on the end. Uh, Personi. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, because it's just the plural. It's a plural of persona. Personas is what people right. are, are saying more and more. I don't know if I mentioned the Pentagon was one of the groups that is viewed as having lots of bots that they've put up on right. on these uh, social media and probably paid people who manage a number of fake accounts and so forth uh and yeah that's that's the big big story there and that's why that has to be plural it's not a pentagon persona it's pentagon personi it's almost like an army of personi right well and we we also uh i guess where where to jump first we could go to friday first because we and this isn't really about about uh, free speech so much as social reactions to uh, free speech. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm no big fan of, uh, of uh, uh, Yee or Kanye West. Um, but, you know, if you listen to him, sometimes he makes a little sense. Um, sometimes he doesn't, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, sometimes he makes sense and you just think, well, that's not correct. But uh, from a political point of view, uh, but he had the audacity as, as uh, usually seen as a more liberal icon to embrace Donald Trump. And he's, he's sort of been in trouble uh, since then with the uh, mainstream media and, and the Hollywood media and celebrity media. But here he was at a, a Paris uh, fashion show. And because we always follow fashion and that's something that we just, you know, see is, I mean, it, it's something we're so into. We just bring it along with us in our political discussions. Uh, people who view this on uh, Rumble. Uh, we'll see how you're dressed and how I'm dressed. And obviously, fashion is the first thing that comes to mind. Hey, my shirt is, we, we got crushed today in football, but my shirt is spelled correctly. This is the correct spelling of the state of Arkansas. And by the way, if you're in Arkansas, vote against issue two, which is attempting to screw up the initiative process there. But we digress. But you no, know, it, it, in, in the fashion statement that, uh, uh, that ye made, uh, and made along with Candace Owens, who I have to say I like very much. Um, I, uh, I've always kind of liked the fact that she recognizes her own privilege in the sense that she's a black woman 
And so when she's talking about all the woke BS that people are spouting out, she's always kind of look, look, you, you got nothing on me. So don't give me any crap. What you're saying is bunk. And uh, anyway, I've, I've just always enjoyed uh, her, her uh, moxie. And, um, and anyway, they were both wearing shirts that, white shirts with black letters that said white lives matter and the whole lives matter thing you know it's if you can fight about that it's almost like what can't you fight about someone says somebody's life matters and you've got to have an argument that's a that is a messed up uh civilization that's all i can say but this piece um you know, we, we found this pretty interesting and, and, uh, and, and, you know, from just a cultural, you know, look at this, isn't this emblematic of, of where this culture is? Um, but it was also interesting that uh, Yi, who was married to Kim Kardashian, uh, married to a, a white woman. Was married. Under was married. Yeah. Right. Was married. Uh, now divorced. But uh and I think he's remarried, isn't he? Or he has since then. I don't think I don't think that was his only marriage. Man, who knows? I don't follow. Do you know? No, no. You have not. Uh, your your issue of People Magazine hasn't has <laughs> arrived yet. No. Yeah, mine, mine neither. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, and and of course, Candace Owen is married to a white man, and the whole idea that you know somebody another race matters it clearly does matter um anyway go go read this piece uh please uh x lives matter and uh and and you know it, it just it's it's a shame that we have to kind of celebrate the idea that we ought not to always hate the other uh, or, or just, you know, or just want the other to be separated so much. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I think, I think the idea that all lives matter is, uh, is, is a good one. And it seems to me that one of the great things about, uh, freedom and, a, and a society that is, I think at the uh, top, if you're going to grade on a curve of racial, uh, issues, you have people who marry people of different races and that's got to help I mean, the male female thing. And it's not all male, female, it might be female, female, but you know, who knows what it is these days. It could be a lot of different combinations, but it's got to help in understanding, even though, you know, may, may at times think, geez, there's not enough understanding here. Uh, I'm just kidding about married life and so on. But, but uh, it's it's a great thing. And when people want to say black, white and everything else, it it doesn't matter to a lot of people. It's not who they are. And it's and it's not who we are from even a biological standpoint that so many, you know, we, you, you do your DNA and you're this much, this much and you're this much, that much. It's it just seems silly. And then to focus on how much you're this or that or what what race you're going to put on your ID card or something. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Well, 
uh, it's especially difficult in America for lots of people because most people are kind of mixed race, right? And that's most, at least people yeah. who have a lot of families who've lived here long enough. I mean, they've, you know, they've done horrible things like marry a German or so forth. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, on the other hand, am fairly pure when it comes to my, my 23andMe uh, profile is, is pretty damn 100% Finn. 96 or 97 percent or something like that you don't want to dump down to the rest of the population i don't know (laughs) isn't that that wasn't there a thing recently and i think it's changed i don't know that the Finns have always you know won the whatever studies come out on who's the smartest wasn't there a thing a couple years ago that uh that the Finns had the highest iq they have the highest average iq in europe ah uh and they're very much like Japanese in that they have a high average IQ, but they have a very narrow range of IQ. And that's actually, it's more culturally significant um, because there are a lot more geniuses in Sweden than there are in Finland uh, and, and a lot more stupid people too. This is one of the things about, you know, just that bell curve that we, you know, we talked about. It's, it's, um, it's uh, much steeper in finland and a little bit moved to the uh to the uh you know above average worldwide uh for their average but you know that's that's not really all that significant what the most significant thing is really that it's such a narrow band and uh, that's what's really interesting about their iq uh jap jap the japanese are like that as well uh and that changes that changes for instance they're very cooperative uh they're not they don't tend to be very violent but a a country with wildly disparate iqs and disparate cultures tends to have more conflict that's just the way it is i mean there's just no way around that uh and uh if diversity is our strength the Finns don't have that as such uh i think diversity is only our strength if uh, the government is small diversity is actually a huge problem if, if government's big and uh, I've, we've talked about it before. Because if people are free to, you can enjoy the diversity if it comes by choice. And, and also just you get the advantages of diversity. If you're yeah. not fighting over the common resources to get the most for your tribe. But when there's cultural diversity and there's huge government and a huge government pot to fight over, then conflict starts to, it becomes a real problem. And I think that's one of the problems we have right now is there's just too much government for a diverse population and everybody wants a piece of it. Everybody yeah. wants a piece of the government benefits. And, uh, and, they, and they would prefer to not have to pay as much taxes as, the, as some other group. So there's that problem is, is that the, the war of all against all has become a government thing. This is, of course, predicted. You know, the funny thing is about when I talk about this stuff, it sounds like it's, a, you know, a, the latest thing. But Volney talked about it in the ruins of empires way back when. You know, in the in the 1700s, the, the basic idea of fighting over scarce resources uh, with in big government, and as that that being the corruption of society, that's the thesis of the ruins of empires by Volney that Jefferson helped translate. Right, that's a really interesting thing to me. Anyway, uh, the other pieces of the week, pro bono no bueno, was one which. Uh is about uh, actually the, the last two pieces highlight two organizations that I think are at the very tip top of groups helping make a difference in America. And there's a bunch of groups up there. So it's not like, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's just a few groups. But, uh, 
but two of them are the Institute for Free Speech, which this piece is about, and the other one is uh, the Institute for Justice, which the uh, the next piece we'll talk about is is about. But this is a case where uh, the Texas Ethics Commission, uh, in all its wisdom, uh, and we always want you know look whether the government's smart or not so smart, we want them dictating how all of our elections run because that way the incumbents in the legislature can decide the rules of the game in any election. Uh, makes sense? No, not at all. But uh, but that's, that's how it works. And and so they came up with this idea that uh, that if lawyers are doing pro bono work, that that is an in-kind contribution. And, uh, and so, you know, they would be somewhat limited in what they could contribute, uh, but it really hamstrings the, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the campaigns and especially it hamstrings campaigns that can't, you know, that, that might not be able to fight something that is in the campaign finance code uh, or that is in the election code because they don't have the money in their campaign to pay some top-notch law firm. And maybe they find some lawyer who will do it, but hey, he can't do it pro bono. They have to somehow pay him. So this is, you know, the, the first rule is the government really ought not to be regulating all, every aspect of campaigns. And I know there are people who think, but Paul, we've their people are going to do such terrible things. And I, I just have to flip that right back and say, has it decreased even a smidgen or has it clearly at least stayed the same? And let me tell you, it's gotten worse with all of this regulation, with all of these rules and regulations. All it has done is to make navigating political campaigns harder and more expensive, which means that the people who are in the system and the people who have the most resources have another advantage it's and and you can kind of extrapolate this and i don't think of uh you know i don't have a, a analogy in mind out, outside of this but across the board it seems like we constantly hear complaints that we have this society in which the gap between rich and poor have and have not is greater and greater and we you know it's just so terrible what are we going to do about it and then it seems like everything that's done is so, to me, is so self-evidently going to expand that gap. And, and in politics, if you know, the more you regulate these campaigns, the more the, the incumbency has, has another, yet another advantage. And what is the incumbency? Well, it's all these folks who have been there and have everything wired. And, and why do they have it wired? What does that mean? Well, they have it wired in that they have all the public employee unions on their side in the district that's a democratic district, or that they have the Chamber of Commerce on their side, and maybe the NRA and maybe others, and they have long-term relationships so that then they have a certain amount of power right now, incumbent power, and they can make that work for those people. So it's not as if, oh, they just have friends that love them. This is a two-way pay-to-play uh, uh, street and and so 
this is this is these sorts of things. Thank God for for groups like the Institute for Free Speech uh, and and uh, other groups like Institute for Justice, because the other commentary this week that we hadn't talked about is Fourth Amendment dead. And uh, this is this is a case and we've talked about it before, uh, but it's the one where uh, basically the FBI lied to a judge in order to get search warrants to go through all of these safe deposit boxes. Now, they uh, charged the bank that had the safe deposit boxes. I think it's a, a bank. Maybe it was uh, maybe something other than a, than a straight out bank. Uh, it was uh, U.S. private vaults. Uh, so <laughs> let me take it back. It was not a bank, but it had private vaults. And, uh, and, and so the FBI came uh, you know, grabbed it and went to a judge, you know, to get the right to grab it and then decided they were going to keep all the contents of all these. And you would think, well, well, some of them were, they were criminals. They were, you know, this was drug money or it was something else that they were keeping. There was ill-gotten gains. They've yet to charge they're, They've yet to charge must much less convict anybody whose money is in those vaults or other valuables is in those vaults of any crime. And yet a judge said, yes, well, there were other criminal elements. So even though the government lied to get the, and this is a different judge than the judge they lied to, <laughs> they didn't have to go back to the judge they lied to, to be told it was okay. But, um, but basically, the judge said, oh, that's, uh, that's okay. They still can keep that, that ill-begotten uh, loot. And of course, you know, when, when the people trying to stop us from robbers become robbers, we're in deep trouble. And that's, that's what that whole civil asset forfeiture thing is about. And the ill-begotten be Ill loot is the FBI grabbing the loot from the savings of people using U.S. private vaults. That's what you're saying, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And and uh, yeah, not the ill because they can allege that it's ill-begotten loot. The FBI can allege that of all the box holders, but alleged in court, no one's interested in your you know alleged in charging them with something. Um, no one's interested in your jawboning about that. So and so is a bad person. That's not what we hire police and prosecutors, and it's not what we have a judicial system so they can just sit somewhere and go, well, we'll tell you whether we like someone or not. I don't care whether you like them. Charge them with a crime or don't. And it brings us full circle to what we were first talking about, to the uh, Hunter Biden. It wasn't what we were first talking about, actually. It was kind of right in the middle. But, uh, but we talked a little about Hunter Biden, and it's not that He's not a, a pretty sad character who should be prosecuted, but prosecute him. Don't just badmouth him with, with your investigation. And the same is true of, of Donald Trump. Um, you know, you can say he committed crimes all the time, but if someone's got to actually charge him, and if, if someone's out there in the media who's some political hack, okay, well, that's what we expect. But there's a different standard if you're a government official. You, you don't have a right 
to just run around bad-mouthing people. And we ought to recognize it as good consumers of rotten government that that's not what we want. That's not what we're looking for. You got something bad to say about someone committing a crime. You have the power to go into a court and charge them. And unless you're doing it, I got no interest in what you have to say. And that's such a good place to stop. I think so. Okay. So this will be up a little bit later today. <laughs> We're a little bit late. Uh, people <laughs> may or may not notice this, but uh, usually we get these things done so that people can listen to it on Saturday. Well, we're recording Saturday afternoon. It's an evening in your where you're at, right? You don't have to tell everything. We don't want to know <laughs> quite how bad it's are. Okay, very good. Uh, so people should go to thisiscommonsense.org like usual. <laughs>